0: Welcome to the Firetime Podcast, where it's never hot enough, slow is fast, and the way to win is to make it so stupidly easy to buy from you that there's no excuse not to. I'm your host, Tim Reed. And once again, I'm so excited to be here today. Welcome to the Firetime Podcast. Now, today's conversation is one that I have been looking forward to for a long time. We're going to be talking with Clay Dennis and... I got connected to him through Brian Barnhill initially, I believe. And Clay is somebody that Brian interviewed for the Firetime Magazine a number of months ago. Clay worked in our industry for a number of years and he actually sold his business very successfully and has moved on to becoming a business coach and a consultant and just a friend for business owners all over the place who are trying to figure out what they need to do next. Now, I read the interview with Clay in the magazine and just thought it was terrific. Then our editor, Matt Bradley, reached out to him because he saw that Clay had all these amazing blog posts that he'd written on his website. And we actually started publishing some of those in the Firetime magazine. And as I have read these, you know, month after month, they've been just incredible. So I reached out to Clay and asked if we could have a conversation At the time that we recorded this, it was literally the first day I had ever talked to him in my life, and I instantly felt like this is somebody who I want to spend time with. In our conversation, we cover a lot of ground, so he has a really awesome story about how he was in the fireplace industry, he became the owner of a fireplace store owned it for a number of years, started looking at it like a business, like his retirement fund eventually. And then he was able to sell that business and move on to what he's doing now. But there's a couple things that you really need to listen to in this interview. You know, number one is, I want you to listen to the way that Clay defines himself. Even when I introduce him, his title is very, very telling. We we talk towards the end of the conversation about the things that, define us. As a business owner, very often we are just consumed by work and we can make it our identity where if if I'm not working, what am I doing? That's why many business owners, frankly, have a hard time actually building a successful business because they can't hand things off to people, not because of a logical reason, but because there's ego that they have tied to being the one in charge or being the boss, even, even when they are stressed out, there's still some like sick pleasure that people can get when all answers have to come from them. So as you listen to this conversation, I want you to be thinking about where do I place my identity? You know, I think that working is a great thing. It, it can be a small part of how you identify, but it shouldn't be the primary way that you identify. There should be other things bigger than that, that out of the overflow of your identity, of who you are, it flows into your work. Another thing is just, we start talking numbers in this, and the second you hear Clay talk, there is an instant authority. I think that was the biggest thing that I took away, is that Clay is not making this stuff up. He has lived it. He's not reading a theory book. And when he starts talking about viewing your business as your retirement account, get out your notepad and start paying attention. So I'm going to leave it there and jump out of the way because I don't want to spoil anything from this conversation. I absolutely have some thoughts on the back end I'll share with you. But for now, I hope you enjoy this conversation. Joining me from Chattanooga, Tennessee is a believer, coach, and friend when called. I'm joined today by Clay Dennis. Clay, how you doing?
1: I'm very well. Thanks so much for having me.
0: You know, I'm excited to have this conversation, but I got to ask you first off. You know, I always announce guests with their title, with where they're from. And your title is believer, coach, and friend when called. You got to explain that to me.
1: Um, You know, after I sold the company, I I was the president or the owner of a company for a long time, and I, yeah, I was defined by that. I actually had stressed early what my title for my business card was going to be and what I wanted people to think of me and all this. And, and when I realized when it was all over, when, when I was put in this new position, I realized I wasn't here for me anymore. I was here for other people. And so my title became what, what are you going what to expect when you meet me? I'm a believer. I'm a coach. And I, not only do I believe in Jesus Christ, but I believe in you. And I believe in the way the world needs to work. And I believe that bringing Jesus into everything works. And I believe we can get through everything and I can help coach you through that. And if I can't, I will help you find someone that can. Um, and then friend when called, you know, I, I have people that I'm not under any particular contract with them. I have people that call me from all over the United States and sometimes they just want to spend 15, 20 minutes with me. And who am I to say no? you know, that's, that's why I'm here. So friend one call.
0: I love that. It's such a good way to start this conversation. And and there's a lot of different directions that I want to go with you, but yeah, maybe to start out, let's, let's frame this by talking about your experience as a hearth retailer and how you ended up doing what you're doing now.
1: Well, I I started my company in uh, March 1st of 2000 and by odd coincidence sold it Uh, precisely uh, February 29th, 2017. So two different chapters in my life opened on the exact same day of the year. Looking back, um, I was was pretty open early for the manufacturers to lead me, tell me what I should carry, what I shouldn't carry, what I should introduce, what I shouldn't introduce, how much uh, I should put on display. And what I learned over time is that the people that were telling me how to run my business rarely were with the company that they were selling me for more than two or three years. I'd get a new rep. You know, uh, I remember Dimplex telling me once I had to put 12 on display. And it and was like early 2000s, you know. And I thought, man, this is, I can't, I'm not big enough to put 12 of these things on display. I don't have the floor space for that. And they walked away. Well, 2000, I don't know, eight or nine or 10 electric fireplaces sort of started making a little bit of a comeback and they started knocking on my door again. And I, I just told them that we, I, this is how much space I'm going to give it. And that's just it. Uh, but Demplex was one of many. You know, the Linux hearth business was another one. Uh, Travis Industries was another one. And I, I began to put two and two together. And I started noticing that the manuf- I don't work for the manufacturers. I, I'm, I don't work for them. Nobody out there listening to this podcast. If you own a hearth business, you do not work for the manufacturers.
0: Yeah, they work for you.
1: That's exactly right. And and I had a very difficult time with that, with the old school mentality. Now, most of the reps of my generation have now retired and the newer generations don't really value the long term relationships, or at least it didn't seem like that to me. You know, if you're if you're 28 and your rep is 28, you probably understand each other better. But the old school relationships tended to fade away and um, the rules changed. And I just sort of got tired of the rules change.
0: So you had this hearth, you know, retail company. And at the beginning, you you know, you're just you're led by whoever will give you any guidance, manufacturers, you know, sales reps, anybody. What I guess. So where did that lead you astray? And and what brought you back on course?
1: Well, you know, um this may sound strange to you, but back in the early 2000s or middle middle 90s, actually, when I was in, I was still in the hearth business, but not an owner, it was not uncommon to order 200, maybe 300 sets of gas logs at an early buy program. And then you would sell those gas logs over the period of the year. And if you didn't, well, you just, your profits for the year are tied up in inventory. Now, that's no longer the case. I think distributors still do it that way, but most retailers today order a month's worth or a week's worth or whatever it may be whatever it is to get free freight. But those types of things have changed. I, I think Linux particular had a whole line of uh, BIS fireplaces, which was a phenomenal Yeah, I remember that high value, high line uh, wood burning fireplaces. Like uh, I think RSRCS, is that another one right now? R- RSF. RSF. R-S- RSF. Yeah. RSF. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a few years. RSF was, was s- is a similar uh, idea. And I was told, Hey, let's put five on display and we'll sell this and we'll sell that. And, I remember looking back thinking, you know, I live in, in, in Chattanooga. We, we do burn wood, but three or four hours north, you can really sell a lot of wood. But in our area, it's, it's really, we have a lot of natural gas. We have a lot of propane and people are going to buy gas logs. And so we did make an impact in the area and we did grow that business substantially. Uh, but I never should have put five burning active displays on, on display that was a twenty twenty dollars investment by the time you build, you know, mantles and stonework and all that kind of stuff. And then the relationship soured. And, you know, I'm sitting here with this investment of fireplaces that, you know, my guys just don't believe in anymore. Now I have to start over with RSF. And so we had to start thinking more long term. You know, I'll start with one or two of your of yours and then if we if we hit it off together and it seems to work, then I'll grow the line. But you're gonna have to help me grow that line. I'm not going to just invest all this money and then let you walk away.
0: Yeah. That's really good. And I think that a lot of companies are probably very familiar with stories like this that they've experienced. And what I want to say is at the same time is that while there are, you know, people or companies sometimes that that act short-sightedly there's a lot of people in companies that are in it for the long term, and they want to help you grow. But I think that the difference is, like just what you said is, are they dictating to you what needs to be done, or are they coming alongside you as a partner to look at your business specifically, look at the market and say, how can we do this thing? I told this story in the podcast before, but you haven't heard it, Clay. There was a time I was on the East Coast, and I was in a showroom with my friend Grant Falco. And what we always do when we go into a showroom is we look at every single display, and we say... Why is it here? What problem does it solve for your customer? Why is it unique in your market? We go through every single one. And we went to one of their front and center displays, this big, beautiful gas fireplace. And we said, hey, why is this on display? And this dealer had been fighting for a long time to get this new product line. And they went pretty much 100% exclusive with them once they got it. And they said, well, the sales rep said that this is one of their best sellers. I was really familiar with this product line. And I'm thinking, man, that shocks me that this is one of their their best sellers, because I don't, I don't think it is and i said so the the it was a gas zero clearance fireplace that had a real big framing spec and i said you know now how much of your business is done in new construction and in remodel it was less than 10% and this fireplace, due to its framing size, was really only an option for new construction and remodel. There's no way in a retrofit situation when Mrs. Jones is, you know, pulling out her old 42 inch direct vent. This thing just can't go in. You have to rip down the whole wall. So minimum, it's probably a you know $15,000 job plus for the customer. So what it made me think about is that is that my assumption is this rep is trying to get more displays and look good to their boss. So they get It's a great looking fireplace, but for this dealer, it's just not right for a different dealer that specializes in new construction. Be perfect. All that to say, I see this a lot and I know it's not always the case, but the alternative would be a rep coming in and saying, Hey, you know, I understand that you're mostly in a remodel market, so let's put in a fireplace like this that specializes for remodeling new construction or coming in and saying, you know, this is a great looking model, but based on your book of business, I don't think it's going to be the right fit. Let's put in a smaller size that can work in retrofit situations.
1: Well, you you know, you mentioned that and I haven't thought about this in years, but Napoleon used to make a model that was called a 90. It was a 90 square inch box. I mean, you could have two guys could stand in the thing <laughs> and and not touch each other. I mean, long before uh, town and Country really had their fifty fours. I mean, this this was a big, big huge trapless, and I put one on display, and they were like, "Oh yeah, we'll do the concrete mantle, and we'll do the, I, the only." I, I finally tore it out of the wall, and I sold it to somebody on the west coast like ten years later. You know, but that is a perfect example. You know, you, you just everything has to have a, a point. Everything has yeah. to have a reason to be there, or it's a waste of time.
0: Yeah. Well, I want to I want to go down this rabbit hole a little bit later, but let's shift and let's talk about you starting to take control of your business, what that looked like, and also how how your exit plan went. For the
1: long term, I started thinking more and I started looking at my company as a long term uh, retirement plan for me when I hit about forty two. When you when you sell a business, and I don't, I'm sure I didn't understand it clearly then, but when when you have a business. There are three things that are going to happen to that business over time. And you can look at Sears. You can look at Montgomery Ward. You you, you name it. Walmart will do the same. In my lifetime or your lifetime, Walmart will disappear. And you'll think, oh, come on. Well, that's how we were with Sears. Okay. Three things are going to happen. You're either going to scale it. You're going to sell it. Or you're going to close it. Now, the closing comes from. Death, injury, sickness, illness, economic, whatever. It's just you know I'm going to run it until it runs in the ground and then I'm done, or I'm going to scale it and 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 draw it up and maybe hand it off to someone. I'll still own it and I'll just you know whatever. Everybody thinks I'm going to be the next Jeff Bezos and all this stuff, and then you can say, well, you know what, I'm going to sell it, and so. About forty-two. I, I would I would say I'm most like I'm like most folks that run a business. I don't have a lot in the bank, but most of what I've made, I've reinvested it into the company. And so let's use uh, fifty grand. Let's say I had fifty grand in the bank. I had enough to cover the, the store if the economy tank for a month or two. You know, we should be fine. And everything else, I'm reinvesting and, and putting in. And it was, sometimes I'll make money, sometimes I'll lose money, but it, it sort of worked out. The problem is. If you, if you don't mind me asking, how old are you? I'm 35. All right, 35. Have you given any thought into what age would you like to either retire or consider bringing down, coming down a little bit? No. Okay. So let's just say, just for the sake of argument for a moment, let's say 65. Yeah. Okay. So that gives you 30 years. And what I want you to do, let's take an arbitrary amount of money. Again, let's use 50000 Okay you've got $50,000 in savings, you've got 30 years to go. All right. 30 years. Now, how how much would you think, and I know you need time to think about this, but how much time, how much money would you need in the bank for you to consider retiring or stepping away a little bit?
0: I'm going to say 2 million bucks.
1: Okay. That's what a lot of people do. When I was growing up, it was 1 million. Now it's about 2. Some people say 2.5. Okay. So let's take $2 million as a goal. And let's divide by 30 or let's divide by 20. We'll make the math easy. All right. So we'll make the math easy. You're going to have to save $100,000 a year to get there. Now, if, you're, if you've are if you got $50,000 in the bank at 35 years old, how realistic is it to think that you're going to be able to put $100,000 back for retirement every year for 20 years? Not very. Not very so there's going to have to be another way to get there all right if you sell a company you're typically when you sell there's typically an agreed upon multiplier yep right and what i mean by this is if you're going to if you're going to stay in business and just close it when you're done it is unrealistic for you to put that kind of money back and that's that's considering there's no injuries or health issues or anything like that it's not going to be a, a particularly good plan but let's say a multiplier of four—that seems to be average uh, for a lot of industries. Sometimes it's six, sometimes it's two and a half. So, if I can get my company to where I'm making plus or minus two hundred fifty thousand free cash flow every year, that's outside of my salary, maybe some savings. Some, you know, some right? Sure. But a two hundred fifty thousand free cash flow—if I can get a multiplier of four. And someone will pay me a million dollars for my business. Now, out of that million, I'll have to pay off any debt, and you know those are going to be some taxes and things like that. So, let's say out of the million, I'll walk away with seven fifty to eight. Yep. All right. So I can take eight hundred thousand dollars, put it in the bank at fifty five. All right.
0: Yep. So now
1: I've got you're you're ahead of the game. I needed two million. I now have eight hundred thousand that I didn't have before. Now I can take that 800,000 and I can invest it or begin rental income or I can do some of these other things.
0: You've got you've got 10 you've got 10 years to get to that mark.
1: That's exactly right. So now I'm more than halfway there, right? And it's going to be far easier with money in the bank than it is. I don't have the economic turndown. I don't have the risk of someone falling off a ladder, I don't have the risk of a gas leak, these types of things. So people need to look at their business as a long-term retirement plan. Now, there comes a time when you're, let's say you're investing in the market. If you're putting $25,000 in the market and you want it to be $2.5 or $2 million, there's probably a couple of ways that happens, but it's pretty unrealistic. There is a time and a place where you say, okay, look, this 25 has made me all the money it's going to make me in this particular investment. And that's the time to walk away. All right. And try something else. It's the same thing in the hearth business. It's the same thing in a landscaping business. It's the same yeah. thing in a tree business, manufacturing, trash company. It doesn't matter. The owner of the company, this is a long-term retirement. And if you get to the point that you're investing, let's say you've given that $25,000 and 15 years later, there's still $25,000 in it. Would you leave it with that the same with the same people?
0: No way. No way. No way. No way.
1: So you have to look at your company as a long-term investment.
0: We'll get back to our conversation with Clay Dennis in just one second. Hey, if you're listening to this conversation and wondering how do I start to get control of my business? How do I build systems and processes? Well, you have to take a look at Wi-Fi. So, You've probably heard me talk about this on the show before, but Wi-Fi is a tool to help you absolutely revolutionize your sales process. First off, Wi-Fi has a customized estimate generator that will literally build an estimate for just about any brand of fireplace in less than 30 seconds. And this is like a customized estimate, individual part numbers for your vent kit in everything. You may not believe me, but it's true. The second thing is that every estimate that Wi-Fi produces gets put into a CRM customer dashboard. And you can actually track your opportunities. You can mark the different pipeline stages customers are at, understand when you followed up with them last, and see instant analytics on how productive your team is for you. Finally, Wi-Fi actually gives you reporting. What if every single week you got a report? That gave you your company's backlog of sales. And by team member, which ones contributed towards that backlog? How many follow ups your team made? What percentage of products that you're quoting are wood versus gas versus pellet? Well, every single week, our Wi Fi partners get this sent to them. Now, there's more that I could tell you about, but I gotta stop because we gotta get back to the interview. You got to check out Wi-Fi. If you haven't yet, shame on you. To schedule a demo, go to wifire.com. ficom That's W-H-Y-F-I-R-E.com. Now is the time to take control of your sales process. So you started looking at your business this way, and and you started tracking and making changes how long did it take you to find a buyer? Were you were you looking for one, or did someone just come to you because they saw that you had a great business?
1: I, I find now when I talk to people now, there I was a guy who was an amazing salesperson. I was put on this earth, in the first part of my life, to be a salesperson. I mean, I, I mean, it was just what I did. I was remarkably good at it, and it it, it it was just one of those things that you know some people are born to play music. I was born to sell. But over time, I woke up one day and I had 23, 24 employees and I couldn't tell you really much difference between the P&L and the balance sheet. And so what I'm seeing now from out there, out there right now is I'm running across an, across industries, people who started their business because they were good at what they did and they wake up and they don't know a P&L, they can't read a P&L, I, it, it I'm not sure of the 30 plus companies I've worked with. I'm not sure I've ever had one that had a, a working budget ever. And so that's sort of what happened after the fact. So let me, let me, let me move forward a little bit. I spent the, I spent that about four, between five and six years gearing the company toward what am I going to buy and not buy? What needs to be on display? What doesn't need to be on display? And I, and I orchestrated, uh, Alan Newkirk. With yeah, um,
0: with, with uh, Allen. Yeah, yeah oh yeah with CUI yeah
1: yeah he recently sold no well yes now yeah yeah I used to be Total
0: Hearth yeah Total Hearth he had this idea
1: and uh, and I started using it across across the board so let's say I buy from CUI and I have an open account of say forty grand fifty grand and and manufacturers want me to put things on display so I want a op- I want to open another account and I want you all displays come through that account. And I'm not going to ask you to hold the money, but I'll pay you 12 equal payments. Okay, whether I sell it or not, I'll make 12 equal payments. But I'm not going to pay for a whole bunch of displays in the fall, only to turn around and try to sell them in the spring to be able to pay for them. So that freed up an amazing amount of cash flow problems. All right. So uh, so I started working on the cash flow issues. I started working on the warranty issues. I had these things. I was really starting to figure out that I'm in business. I'm not a hearth retailer anymore. I'm a business guy. December 23rd, 2015, I looked, I came in, it was the day before Christmas Eve. And I walked, I walked into work and I said, Charlotte, that's my wife, Charlotte. I said, Charlotte, I, I, I don't feel well. And she said, well, you look peaked. And I said, well, you know, I'm probably just tired. And about 10 minutes later, I said, something's something's not right. I need to do something here. And she said, why don't you go to the hospital, go to the emergency room. So I walked in and I told them I was, you know, I had some chest, not pains so much, but just pressures. Uh, I had a walk-in blood pressure of 167 over 134. And they looked at me and they said, we're not quite sure why you're standing, driving and walking. Wow. Okay. They said, it's not the highest we've ever seen. But that's your walk-in unmedicated. That that that's a problem. So they kept me most of the day, and they, they couldn't they just medication couldn't bring it down. And finally, they got it down to do a stress test. I started getting dressed again, and they said, "No, no, no, don't get dressed just yet. You've got a 50-50 shot here tonight." Um, which I responded that that's probably not the best language to use to somebody that you've had hooked up to. Gauges all day. I got a 50, 50 shot. I'm (laughs) a little surprised by that, but, um, they said, you're either going to go home for two weeks, bed rest, or you're going to have your chest cracked open tonight in surgery. Wow. Uh, so the test came back and they said, okay, we're we're, going to go home, but you're not allowed to work for two weeks. Um, shortly after that, I started closing on Saturdays for a little while. Found out that it really didn't impact the business that much until April, you know, when the grill season started up. Then we needed to open back up on Saturdays, but um, and we were never open on Sundays. Um, so that cardiac event sort of it was it was a real eye opener for me that it was probably time for me to make some make a decision. Um, and because I had invested the last three or four years, sort of turning it into a real business, my free cash flow appeared to be pretty good. Yeah, And so I put the word out to a few people. Blossom and Propane uh, contacted me. I I suppose it was September of that year. And within about 60 days, they made me an offer. And the offer was fair enough that you could tell that they were very serious, but they were extraordinarily close. Let's just say that. And so I said, you know what? I've, I've got two new vehicles that I've just bought and I would really like to not have to pay for those. So why don't we up it this much more that'll cover the cost of the two vehicles and we got a deal. And they said, okay. So the negotiation that happened to sell the business for me was a single phone call. Wow. Yeah. That's what I said.
0: That's incredible. Now, just to, to parse this out a little bit, the reason I'm assuming it was a single phone call is because you knew your books, you knew your EBITDA, you knew your cash flow. That's right. And you, you were able to communicate with them and speak the same language and have a common understanding where, cause they obviously had to look at your books and see the same thing too, right?
1: Well, they also walked the warehouse, everything in my warehouse, anybody that knew me or had been to my location knew that my retail floor and my warehouse was uh, almost militant. Right. I did not allow my guys to have empty, uh, open boxes. Boxes had to be taped shut and complete. Yeah. Everything had to be fronted. We had to know what we had and when. We had when to order things and, you know, and all all kinds of little things. Yep. And so they came through and they looked and they said, okay, so all this is sold. Where's everything else? And I was like, what are you talking about? And I said, "I, I keep a week's worth of inventory. And they were just completely blown away by that. Yep. So, I think from that standpoint, the fact that they probably weren't used to walking into businesses that that knew their books and understand, they knew that they had they weren't gonna to have to rebuild something here. Sure. So yeah, so right after that we we agreed on a deal and that was that. And so <clears throat> it was so easy that I realized there had to be another reason. And um we signed a two-year guarantee to stay on with them. It became obvious. Within the first year, that their way of doing things and my way of doing things really weren't jiving. So I left uh, at about a year later, uh, and they agreed to to buy me out of the remaining year. That gave me the leeway to begin my new business and get it started, and still being paid for about a year. So it was just all a little too easy. If I had written this in a book, it would it, most people would think it was fiction. Yeah. So I knew that there would have to be a reason for this. And I, I, someone gave me a book, uh, Nearing Home by Billy Graham.
0: Okay. And in it,
1: he makes a point that humans are not meant to retire. There, there are certain things that you can't do when you're 40 that you could when you're 30, physically. Yeah. When you get 50, 55, there, it's just a different season. You're not going to be able to do these things, but you have wisdom and you have Knowledge and you have experiences that you didn't have earlier, so it's a whole new basket of uh, strengths. So, how do I utilize those strengths? How do I impact the lives of other people? How do I reach out? You know, I remember I remember vividly Charlotte coming in and looking at me. She's about four months in, and she said, "I don't know what it is you're 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 wanting to do, but you're not going to do it from the couch." I don't know, you know, you got to go, right? You, this, you can't hang around here anymore. And so I had this idea and I reached out and I had, I had I had three other friends that were in similar seasons in life. And we all came together and thought, well, we'll have this, we'll start this business called part-time business partners and we're all going to coach with a certain set of strengths. And um, it became relatively obvious early that one of them... Was not going to be able to keep up with with what we were trying to do. He just didn't have the experience. He had plenty of of, of wisdom, but he just didn't have the business experience, and so he fell away. and I bought him out relatively early, and it was it, it, was, it was it was it was good timing. Yeah, uh, a year later, another one decided he wanted to turn this into a big business, uh, particularly even franchising it, or you know this model. And it, and it 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 does seem great. It's just not what I wanted out of life. And um, so, over time, I had one partner, and then I recently bought him out. So, w- w- all you have to do is be one degree out from someone else, and over time, it's it's clear that you're on different paths, right? And that's why I, I do caution a lot of uh, of people that I talk to who want to develop partnerships to have extraordinarily clear uh, force majeure, so to speak, of what the expectations are, what the uh, what each person's responsibility is going to be, and then clearly define how we're going to break up if we break up. And if you do that, you can keep things from becoming nasty.
0: Yeah, I'll I'll tell you, uh, I resonate so much with exactly what you just said that that's been something that I've I've walked over the last really five years or so, um, and having those clear expectations. And I mean, some of the best advice I got was from someone just saying like the first thing you need to do is you have to iron out an operating agreement that has a very clear buy sell clause. It's like number one.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's one of the things that I do work with people. I'm not an attorney. Um, I I don't draw up those papers, but I will get them in front of, of, I I help people. I'll say, look, this is something we're going to take care of. I have an attorney who specializes in this meet with him. If he's a good fit hiring, I'll help you with it. If not, let's get going until we find somebody. And then we do the same thing with accounting.
0: Well, what it makes me think about just on the attorney side, and again, listening to this, if you're in a partnership man, getting with an attorney and it's going to cost you probably three grand or so to get an operating agreement ironed out, but it's worth it. And literally what we did is, is, is me and my partner, we, we talked about what we wanted it to say. And then we just went to an attorney and said, we want it to say this. And that's, you know, that's how we did it.
1: Three grand is nothing. Compared to the mess you find yourself in, if if you think it's a mess to start with, wait until it's a two or three million dollar company, and now you're having to split it up, and it goes back and forth for six months. People get angrier and angrier and angrier, you know, and it could end up costing you thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars. Yeah. So yeah, and that's that's not including the stress. Yeah.
0: So Clay, you you sold your company. And you're, you're in this spot where you've got, you know, 17 years experience as an owner of this business. You made some really good changes in it. You got out in a in a way that sounded like it was good for both sides. And so now you, you help businesses out. And I'm just going to kind of go a different direction for a second. So I don't know how I got in contact with you originally. It, it might have been through Brian Barnhill. It might have been through Alan Newkirk. I'm not sure. But I started... Paying attention to the content that you were writing on your blog, and you were gracious enough to let us publish some of it in the FireTime magazine. And as I read what you produce, it's so obvious that you have experiential knowledge that you're communicating. Like you said, it's not academia; it's not theory that that you've lived it. As as you go into help businesses now, like what do you see as as the as the place that most business owners are hurting the most, where they need help? And where is it that you like to start? So
1: it, across the board, and I have specialized not in hearth industries. Okay, um, I, I have um, I, I have a lot of hearth relationships throughout the country, and I've had conversations and, and done some things. But the the mass majority of the work that I do. Is in service side industries. Okay, um, and the number one problem I come up with with people is they don't know where they're going. Okay, they have no end goal in mind. So I used to use the analogy in school, high school, college. They they give you an equation and you have to figure out the answer at the end, and you have to trust that the equation they gave you really does equal what you've been taught. Right. Well, in life, that's not how it works. You're given an equation, X number of employees, cash flow, economic situations, advertise, whatever. It's an infinitely complex equation. And you're you're supposed to be left with whatever X equals. If X equals twenty thousand dollars at the end of the year, then you have to accept it. Okay. in work and life, you get to I can look at that equation and go, yeah, I don't want it to equal one hundred and twenty. Now, I don't want it to equal 20. I want it to equal 120. And everyone around you will say, Clay, your equation doesn't equal 120. Well, I can change the equation. And everyone around me looks at me and says, you can't change the equation. Why? Why can't I add two more service trucks? Why can't I get rid of the salesperson who doesn't sell what I need them to do? Why can't I get rid of the manufacturer who's not really profitable? And so you start with the end in mind. Now, that's just a little bit different, but there's it's the same way of thinking long-term. All right? You're 35, by age 55, if you start planning to retire at 55, good luck. Because now i got five years, six years, if you're in, God forbid, but if you're in full uh, good health. Okay? So I go in and I say, what's your long-term plan? What do, what do you want to do with this business over time? How old do you, I mean, what, what is it? Okay, okay, so let's let's say, let's get a group of guys in a room and we'll say, okay, guys, we're going on vacation. Here's your key to your car, go. And everybody goes and they go, hey, by the way, where are we going? Doesn't matter, just drive. Well, good luck getting there. So if we all say Las Vegas, all right, Las Vegas, I've got, um, let's say 10 years, we'll, we'll make that 10, 10 days. I got 10 days to get there. There, I have to go through. I have to drive a certain number of miles at a certain miles per hour, ten days in a row to get there on time. It is that simple. So you're 35. In 20 years, you want to retire. Ish. Now, you don't have to retire, but you could be prepared to retire. Right. So 20 years. Therefore, whatever the difference is from where I am now to where I'm going, I have I've divide that by 20, and there's your roadmap. Now, you also have to then step back and say, okay, where am I now? And if your books are not clear, then it's going to take me three weeks to a month to systematically review and adjust your books with you until we have a clear spot of where we are. It, it, I have yet to find an organization who tells me that, that they make 40%. That's their that's their revenue model that they do 40%. And after an analysis, I come back and I go, yeah, no, you're at 26 and a half. Because costs continue to arise and they were unaware because they didn't track it. And so it, it's just that simple. Imagine a roadmap. I have to know where I'm going. I have to know where I'm at. And then I can lay out a plan to get there systematically. But if you don't do those two things, you're literally... Driving wildly and hoping to get somewhere, but you don't, how do you know when you, when you get there?
0: Yeah. Yeah. You're driving with a blindfold on, you know, uh, this is probably four months ago with my team. We got together uh, from different parts of the country in the same spot and we took two days kind of ironing out the vision for the next five years. And, and what we looked at is like, when we looked at the, the company overall, we asked the question, how do we know when we win? And we came up with a really specific answer of what that is, that like, this is how we know we've won. And, and that's when we, just like you said, we either pack it up and go home, we sell it, we scale it, you know, whatever it is. But we really specifically mapped out for the next five years, if, if this is where we're going for the ultimate destination over the next five years, this is what it has to look like this quarter, this quarter, this quarter. And, and when we walked out of that, it was funny because one of my friends that I work with as, as feedback on kind of those two days when we brought in an outside facilitator to take us through it and and he said tim i came into this being confused on a lot and i and walking out now understanding quarter by quarter where we're going to go like i'm ready just to go crush it because there's no I, there's no fogginess i've got clarity and i think that a lot of people just don't realize how valuable that clarity is and and again for us just cuz we had this great meeting 4 months ago doesn't mean like in six months, we got to plan another one because we like, we like, you know, it's like when, you know, vision leaks, you got to keep refilling it.
1: So here's a, here's a exercise for your listeners to consider before they have meetings. Okay. Stand in a room with five, six, seven people and say, guys, what I'd like you to do is close your eyes and I want you to point to North. Okay. And occasionally look, occasionally you'll have a pilot in there that says true north or magnetic north and that person you just that person you just slap all right <laughs> i've had that happen but but you say yeah. now most of them will be in a general direction but some of them won't but the purpose of the exercise is to show that they all think they're headed north and they all think that they're headed toward the same vision that you have but you'll see that they're all maybe pointing in the same. If you were to take a line from each of their fingers, there it's all it's all the way across the wall. So while you have this expectation that each of your employees or each of your managers know where this company is going, they don't. So then what you do is you say, okay, open your eyes, and they look around and they see that nobody's pointing in the same place. So then you walk over and you and you touch something now, whether it's a an outlet or a picture or a frame or something. And you say, guys, this is north. Now, it, it may not be true north, but the, I'm telling you, this is where this company is going.
0: Yep, this now. is north.
1: Okay, have them keep their hands up, right? And then you say, okay, now close your eyes. Where are we going? And they do it again, and they're all pointing in the same direction. And it is a mind, it's mind-blowing. So good. To see where you thought you were, you really had some real clarity that everybody knew that we were working together, but they weren't. And so what this does is it goes to show and it shares with your entire staff that not everybody is in tune with the other person. Right. So that's a wonderful exercise to try. And if it, and and if that is, is, is blatant to you, in that event in that in that situation, then you need you need clarity. And not only do you need clarity, but do not share your vision until you're clear what it is. Okay. And get with someone, call me, call you, get with someone that you can that you can really sit down with and iron these things out. And then you create a systematic set of KPIs or measures along the way.
0: I, I, This is excellent. I can't. I. I mean, what I'm thinking about is that already we we have to have you back on for for a, a second part of this conversation at some point. Where I would want to end it though is, but when we were offline at the beginning, you gave an analogy of lenses, and you talked about the different acts of your life, and I'd love you to end with the idea of what we're defined by.
1: Okay. So. Uh, I I still don't know what I'm defined by. All right. I just now know that I'm not what I'm not defined by. Um, Inside of about six months, I sold my company, retired at home, Charlotte retired at home. Uh, My son graduated high school and went to college. And my dog of 13 years, Biscuit, who went to work with me every day for 10 years in the car every single day, passed away. So inside of six months, I'm, I'm now it took me four months, by the way, to not answer the phone. This is Clay with Southern Heart. Four months. I had no idea who I was. I didn't know if I was a boat person. I didn't know if I was. a. I had no idea of guitar music. I had nothing. I had no idea what I was going to do. And I was terrified. And it was one of the hardest things that I've ever gone through. And. I have actually worked with three other people in those transitions. And each of those three, um, one was far worse than than me. Um, And the other two was about as bad, but we were able to work it out together, but you were not defined by what you do professionally. You will be remembered for how you treated people. You will be remembered for how you encouraged and how you Promoted, not necessarily up in in rank, but promoted um, and and mentored people along the way. Um, There's there's an old adage that says the difference between wisdom and knowledge. Knowledge is knowing or reading that tomato is a fruit and not a vegetable. Wisdom is not putting a tomato in a fruit salad. Okay? There's only one way to get that type of wisdom. And that's to accidentally put a tomato in a fruit salad, right? You're going to make these mistakes. It's okay. That's part of where wisdom comes from. In fact, it's almost entirely where wisdom comes from. So, when you're in a position and you see somebody on the wrong track, and they're going to they're going to be ending up in a train wreck, you can put your arm around them. And I, I I like to not get them too far from the train wreck. I still want them to see the train wreck but I want to get them a couple of degrees off and say, here's how we're going to avoid being a part of it. Right. So in this book, it says the wisdom that you've been given by God over these years is a gift. In fact, it's a gift not afforded to many. Now in my fifties, I've had high school buddies that have passed away. So now, you know, you're, you're, you're clear now that you've been given an opportunity that other people haven't been given. Why did I, why me? Why did I have all of these experiences? Why was I able to make a good choice in marriage, to raise a great kid, to, uh, you know, why me? And who am I now, right? And to suggest that, that I, I still can't answer that in full, but I do know now that I'm supposed to be helping others who are going to end up in the same position right? Um, I also know that I can, only, I know how many I can handle. I've taken eight or nine at a time now. I, I now realize that I can handle about five different CRM packages, different QuickBooks packages, different, you know, it, it's it's different size teams. I can handle four or five, but I'm also cautious to be, to be done at two, one to two o'clock each day. I don't work 40 hours a week. All right. Uh, I, I may work two to three hours a day and I work I, what I like to do is pick a different company each day. So Monday I have one, Tuesday I have one. But if I come in there and I'm there for eight hours, I'm just interrupting their business. If I can come in two hours, hold you accountable for a week, right? And then we can talk a little bit off and on. Then that seems to work very well. And it takes me anywhere from six months to 18 months to help turn a company around. Um, six months, I can get the bulk of it done. but implementation. It's going to take a year. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's really, it's interesting to look back and it's humbling to look back and say all that work was not to install fireplaces. I wasn't installing fireplaces. I was learning how to overcome problems. I was learning how to think differently. And now it's, and, and, and yeah, it does make sense.
0: Oh, it totally does. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking about the scripture that talks about to who much has been given, much will be required and the idea the idea that blessing stagnates unless it's poured out like it literally gets toxic and corrosive if blessing is not poured out and that's what happens to a lot of people is they try to hoard things for themselves and it it, it destroys their lives you know Vers, versus when you when you actually trust that you know i think god's big enough that that if i pour out too much i think that he can refill me and i think that, that that's a, that's that's a mentality that'll set the world on fire
1: but you know, I tell you one of the most humbling things that I've done, um, and it and it really, really, really fills my heart. Uh, the National Medal of Honor Museum and Heritage Center is here in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and it, it's a considerable museum, so to speak. But they also they they promote to people to patriotism, courage, commitment, integrity. You know these things, and we teach these things. And I began to volunteer there and, um, as a guide and it's really self-guided, but I'm there, you know, I have the shirt and I have my old Navy hat a lot, there's a lot of veterans that do this. So I'm, I'm there with my old command hat and I've got my old pins and whatever in my hat, you know, and, uh, my wife looks at me, and she said, <clears throat> sort of old timer, isn't it? And I said, I've spent 30 years working to become an old timer. And now, when I when I go to those places, and I'm talking about people who gave their lives for others, who did things so extraordinary that they can be talked about hundred years later or more, it really puts into position. It really makes me realize that I thought I was the most important person in the world because I ran a heart store. And when I realized that, I thought, you know what, I was the ant on the elephant's backside, right? I just I'm, I you you just can't. And so, I, community involvement is something else that I really encourage owners to do with their 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 groups. And we can talk about that maybe at another time. But uh, the last few years, we would sponsor Ronald McDonald House uh, one week a month, or excuse me, one weekend a month. My staff and I would go down, and we would uh, grill out dinner for the people that Ronald McDonald house. Um, we might go plant trees at something. We might, you know, go, whatever it is. And grilling was sort of natural for us just because we did grills, you know? Uh, and it got to the point where my staff didn't want me to go anymore. They felt not so much uncomfortable, but it's sort of weird. You're there and you're trying to, do, you know, let them do it on their own. And and so I went on to do some other things, but, uh, the community involvement part, was really key to building teamwork and helping them understand that they're more than a service tech. They're, they're, they're more than a salesperson. Um, and it's just the things that you're going through right now are developing who you will be when that book closes. Stop worrying. If you if, if your business is in trouble and you go out of business, you know what? So what? You wake up tomorrow and we'll start another chapter. Is it painful? Yes. Is it tough? Yes, but it doesn't
0: define. Me. So good clay. There's a lot of ground that I want to cover in our next conversation. Um, man, I'm I'm better for this. Thanks for taking the time. Man, it
1: is. It has been my honor.
0: Well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with clay Dennis. My gosh, as I'm looking over my notes here, I, I don't even know where to start. There's so much that, that we could talk about and I'm not joking. We're going to have him on again to, to dive really, really deep into this. You know, as I said in the intro, there is an authority that he speaks with, and it's not an arrogant authority, but it is a lived, calm, and confident authority. He understands this stuff. If your business needs help, he is someone that I would absolutely recommend talking to. I I think a couple things are really important to discuss. First off, when he said that you don't work for the manufacturers, they work for you. That's a big deal. And this is not a slight to manufacturers because I think that the good manufacturers, they know this, that that they work for their dealers. You need to make sure that the products on your floor and the brands that you interact with are in the best interest for your company. It's only by you doing that that you will actually become a good partner for them long-term. When companies will just blindly take something on And, you know, listen to a sales rep without any context as to what's best for their business. It, you know, the the sales rep might be able to sell a big PO initially, but it's not going to be a good long-term relationship because the business is leaving so much money on the table that could be in the manufacturer's pocket if the business was running better. So always remember, like, you know. I would say, you know, listen to your reps and, and, you know, trust your good reps and trust your good manufacturers, but it needs to be a partnership. You and the manufacturer need to be able to talk to each other and understand what is going to be best for our context in our area of the country for our customers and a manufacturer that will sit down and do that with you is someone that you should absolutely stay connected to. Clay's example of the retirement account is really powerful. You know, he put me on the spot and asked, you know, when are you going to be done? And honestly, I'm like, I don't know. I mean, I could keep doing this for a long time. Now, I've got my own goals and plans for retirement. And I think that what, what Clay talked about for, for someone that owns a like a brick and mortar business, this is so true. You know, if, if, if your company has five people and you're going out once a week to estimate jobs or you're going out once a week with the installers to move stuff into a home how long do you want to be doing that for do you want to be doing it at 50 55 60 65 70 whatever age if if the answer is no then that's probably where you need to put the mark on the horizon that clay talked about and then reverse engineer okay so how much money do we need to make every single year leading up to it so that we can retire comfortably. That analogy is is really powerful and it makes you think about what your business is is doing. The last thing that I want to talk about is one thing that Clay said at the very beginning. When you own a business, you've got three options long-term. Scale it, sell it, or close it. Most people think that they can scale it. Most people can't. It's just the truth. Most people can't. And that's not an indictment. I mean, like he said, most people aren't Jeff Bezos. Most people don't even want to be Jeff Bezos. The the time and effort it, it takes to scale something like that is usually more hassle than people are willing to deal with. So for most business owners, the choices are that you're either going to sell your business or you're going to close it. If you're going to sell it, well, what's your business worth? You know, in Clay's example, if you've got $50,000 in the bank, every, you know, January, by the time the books close out in December, you've got that same $50,000 and, uh, everyone made their salaries for the year. Well, I mean, that's, that's fine. But as the business owner, you're not actually being paid for being the business owner. You're just being paid for your salary in the business. What, what happens when that account at the end of the year goes to a hundred thousand dollars instead of 50, well, now, okay, there's $50,000 that is your pay for being the owner, right? You're the one that is taking on all the risk of the business. You're the one that could potentially lose their house if the business goes under. So that's what you're getting paid as the owner. Your salary is not what you're making month to month to month. Your your profits as the business owner come out of the overflow after everyone's getting paid. What's left over? And if someone's going to buy a business, they need to know that they're going to be getting paid for being the owner. So. I think that example is really good, and and this is something that that your business should be thinking about. You know, one of my goals has been, even with with you know my companies, is that we are trying to run the business as if they will be sold one day. Now we have no idea if we're going to sell them or not one day, but we are trying to run the business that way because that's how a good business operates now if this podcast has been a blessing for you and you want to support it financially you can do that by going to the website patreon.com slash it's that's p a t r e o n dot com slash it's the final thing i'll leave you with is that in this conversation we talked a lot about identity when we were offline talking before we started recording clay talked about his life in three acts so far. Act one was him growing up and joining the Navy. Act two was him owning his fireplace store. Now he's in act three. Which act are you in in your life? Because chances are there is going to be a chapter after you're doing what you're doing right now. How are you preparing for that? What are you going to do with that chapter? Blessing is meant to be poured out. We talked about that. And that's what Clay's doing right now. The experiences that you're going through day to day, I believe, are shaping you for the future. But it's up to you whether you're going to hold on to that blessing and let it rot and stagnate or pour it out into somebody else. So my hope this week is that you can begin to do that. We'll talk to you again very soon. Thank you for listening to the Firetime Podcast. To learn more, visit the website itsfiretime.com.